In the name of one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. With these lyrical words as just proclaimed by our deacon, John begins the story of the life and death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus of Nazareth. His words sound in our ears and touch our spirit so deeply that many scholars believe this passage may be an early Christian hymn possibly a part of the early church's worship. Perhaps, too, their soaring quality inspired later generations to use the eagle as a symbol for John the evangelist. Notice sometimes in a church, the lectern is in the shape of an eagle, for that is where the word is proclaimed. What we refer to as the prologue to John's gospel is John's equivalent of the Christmas stories of Matthew and Luke. Luke chooses first century Rome as the setting for his story, and Matthew sets his story in the context of God's salvation of Israel. But John, echoing the words of Genesis, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, John chooses creation as the setting for his story, and what an epic story it is. John sees the role of God's creative word continuing in the ministry of Jesus. In Genesis, God says, let there be light, and our John identifies light with the life we have in Christ. He continues on, in him was life, and that life was the light of all people. So when John calls Jesus the light of the world, he wants us to hear, let there be life. This theme resounds throughout his gospel as we hear the words of John, John the storyteller, John the evangelist, and John the witness. And what a time for stories and witnesses. You know, here we are, we're on the first Sunday after Christmas Day. We're still in the season of Christmas. You know, around the church, at least, this is usually a fairly peaceful weekend, especially coming after the hustle and the bustle of the holiday. Now, it's well known in the church that The Christmas season is not really the time leading up to Christmas, but rather it's the 12 days of Christmas, Christmas tide, which ends with the day of Epiphany on January 6th. And the stories within Christmas tide, they really aren't stories that are known very well at all. These stories are called the Witness Days. Anyone ever heard of them as the witness days? No? So there are six days between Christmas Day, its octave being on January 1st, and we have five specific stories of martyrdom, or otherwise those who have borne witness to the truth of the Christian faith. 
Note that the word martyros in pre-Christian Greek means simply to witness, to be present, and to report. So on December 26th, and why don't we know these stories? Because like every good Episcopal church, we're closed. From Christmas Day until New Year's, with the exception of the Sunday, we, we take time off, we reflect. So you may not know these stories, so here they go. December 26th, we remember St. Stephen. St. Stephen the deacon, the first member of the early Christian church to be put to death for his faith. We see this in the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 6 and 7. He's a martyr in will and in deed. And then on December 27th, we remember St. John. St. John the Evangelist, St. John the author of this gospel we heard today, one of the original 12 apostles, commonly believed that although he was imprisoned, beaten, boiled in oil, he lived to an old age and died a natural death. So he was a martyr in will, but not in deed, meaning that he was willing to lay down his life for the Lord, but was never called on to do so. And then on December 28th, we remember the story of the Holy Innocents, the children of Bethlehem who were slaughtered at the command of King Herod, lest one of them prove a danger to his throne. Those are martyrs indeed, though not in will. And their deaths to me are a disquieting reminder that suffering on behalf of a good cause is not always restricted to those who have a choice in the matter. So these first three witnesses that we commemorate in this time after Christmas, they're all New Testament people, but on the two days that follow right before we get to the new year, we hear about a couple of others. And the first one you'll never hear about, it's Sylvester. Sylvester, the Bishop of Rome, around the year 313-315. What's important about him is he's the first bishop after Christianity is no longer illegal and a specifically persecuted religion. So with his term of office, the fourth century, we enter an era when to become a Christian is really no longer to place oneself in automatic danger of being put to death by the government. However, tomorrow we'll remember the story of Thomas a Becket, the Archbishop of Canterbury. Troy doesn't like this story, and no bishop would, because he was slain in his own cathedral. In the year 1170, for his defiance of King Henry II. And King Henry uttered famously, Will no one rid me of this turbulent priest? And four knights thought it was an order, and they did. And they killed him. And the death of Thomas reminds us that as a Christian, even when safe from the pagans, we cannot always be safe from the danger of our fellow Christians. Christmas tide is dominated by the celebration of stories, stories of martyrs, stories of witnesses to the faith, and their heroes, not because they died for their faith, but because they had in one way or another 
met Jesus. And they had returned his love. And they'd counted their relationship with him more valuable than anything, including life itself. So this Christian story, it isn't just about going through the motions of day after day and season after season. The Christian story is about living. It's about life. It's about taking our part, every one of us, as witnesses. Witnesses to and witnesses in the divine. Because each of us has something special. Something special to offer to the kingdom. And most often, it is not any of the things we usually worry about. It's not a perfect body, and it's not enough money. It's not a fantastic house or a fast car. Most likely, those things that make us special and what God needs so desperately is those things we don't even appreciate in ourselves. Perhaps our kindness or our compassion, or our love, or our generous spirits. And this gospel lesson, this prologue of John, it offers us a way, twice a year specifically, to focus on the nature of true life, what it truly means to live. Because when the word became flesh, Jesus took on the flesh of the healthy and the sick and the young and the old and the living and the dying and gave them new purpose and new power and direction. Because when Jesus was born, a poor, penniless peasant in a backwater slum of a town like Bethlehem It wasn't so that we could celebrate with a pretty pageant or bows or ribbons or packages under the tree. God becoming flesh wasn't just for show. This Christ babe in the manger grew up and became a man and things happened. Things happened. Tables and temples were turned over. Crowds who were hungry for love and for food were fed. People were healed who were physically and spiritually sick to death. And everything about Jesus was genuine and authentic and real and life-affirming. Everything because he was an original, unbeatable, irreplaceable, unrepeatable, a human being that God provided and intended for us to have. He was the light, the light to all people, shining in the gloom of self-centered earthly living. And we are the remnant of his body. We are the part of Christ's body, the church, And we've been called to take our place. We have a specific place in the history of this story right right now. And it's for one reason, and one reason only. It's for the betterment of the kingdom, the good of God's children here in Phoenix, at the corner of Central and Roosevelt.
It's us who are called to a life that is in God, a life of prayer, a life of Bible study, a life of worship and fellowship and service and good deeds and a giving of every gift that we have, our gift of our livelihood, our gift of our work, our gift of our family, and to give back to God what is God's. That's our role, and this is our story of the way we're called to live our lives in the body of Christ. Here's the tricky part, though. Our story is not an individual story. It's not a story we can live on our own. When people tell me, I have God everywhere, I see God hiking, I see God golfing, that's great, I hope you do, and good for you. But God is specifically in the church in a specific and holy way that God is nowhere else. God is here proclaimed in the gospel, and God is here proclaimed in the body and blood of Christ broken for God's people. We have to do it together. Our salvation story is a larger part of a whole, and Christ has chosen us to receive his life in this place such that we can be a light to the world. Because believing in Jesus and living like God's children, it's a community effort. We can't do it alone. Living together in the story is an exercise in relationship. Our faith is strengthened when we see the joy that others find as they come to know a life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ. And as we become stronger in our faith as individuals, we become stronger as the body of Christ collectively in this place. And then others begin to see. They see in our story the light in us, and they see the light in themselves to be a part of that story. Because the church is called to embody the joy and the freedom and the ecstasy of living a life in Christ. So continue to celebrate this most holy season. Continue to tell people Merry Christmas. And when they look at you awkwardly, tell them the story. Tell them that it is Christmas and that's where you are. You are involved in the deepest, most profound story that was ever told. And the Creator has come to you. Come to all of us. So go tell the story. Bear the witness over the hills and everywhere, that Jesus Christ was born, and that we are the light that dispels the darkness in the world, and the darkness cannot overcome it. Merry Christmas.